Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, here we go. The, the Unsuckable Podcast. We're back. Um, yeah, not not the most fun occasion today, I would say. Um, anyone who's wondering what I'm referring to is probably living under a rock. Um, it's been a tough 24 hours. So I think this episode is really just about maybe getting people's minds off for the next 45 to 50 minutes and talk about something else than war. I know it's difficult at this stage, but um, we're going to try our best, I think. And um, yeah, I'm your host, Manuel Feed. And the last couple hours or so, I've been mostly on the phone with people back in Ukraine where I lived in 2013. And yeah, it's sad. But anyways, let's let's move on and talk about more interesting stuff, more like fun stuff, I guess. And um yeah, bring in the guys. Hey, Josh, how's it going, Josh? Um, Dortmund playing today. Um, that's not exactly the most fun distraction right now, is it? Yeah, no, I don't think that'll be a, a a great distraction. But yeah, I mean, obviously, tough times right now, and our thoughts and prayers are with all those who are being affected. But yeah, I mean, getting your mind on onto the football side of things, Europa League. I'm excited for the Europa League this season, just because I thought it's a very unique opportunity to see a lot of. Uh, teams who somewhat struggled throughout the champions league i think it's a, a pretty solid well-rounded europa league and uh my club's obviously in it they're down four two way goals gave them a fighting chance but i i don't know i don't have a good feeling i, I think i'm gonna be gonna be walking out of that match uh, just as frustrated as i was going into it yeah beat six beat club of six now on the weekend that was good it was an entertaining game um it's so weird how dortmund are hot and cold josh it it is, and you'll understand this more than, than anyone. But, I mean, these are the last few results. At home, lost to Leverkusen 5-2. Away, which, again, this is a this is not a, a scoreline that anyone should kind of look away at. They won 3-0 away at Union Berlin, which is a very tough mm-hmm. and tricky matchup. And then they uh, then they get ran over by Rangers at home. And then they went 6-0 against Gladbach. It's some of the weirdest four games I've ever seen Dortmund play. So, I mean, with just consistency, I, I just don't know if they, they have it in them. But... Marco Royce had an incredible performance. I think he's been in really good form in the past, uh, honestly, the past couple months. I thought I thought he's been one of the few bright spots of this side, but there's just still for me too much inconsistency. So I'm not going to be holding my breath too much. I will see how to do today. Um, probably by the time this podcast comes out, the game will be about kicking off. So um, yeah, curious how how this game will go. But um, yeah, bringing in Filippo. Filippo, how's it going, buddy? Um, MLS is back this weekend. That's exciting. Uh, your yeah. club Orlando, of course. Um, how are you feeling about that? 
No, I'm excited. Like I said, um, unlike different leagues, like the Brazilian league, I have a little bit more passion for it, right? More at stake for me. I, I like, I, I grew up with it, but MLS is always enjoyable for me. Watch late night games right here in Orlando. Um, I'm going to be in Charlotte in two weeks for the Charlotte FC home opener. The first game in their history at home. It's going to be awesome. 70,000 people against the LA Galaxy. So yeah, uh, getting a side of the issues going on in the world. There's some good for us, some good happening to distract us. And there's lots to talk about today. The Champions League, the CONCACAF Champions League. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, seven, they, they're aiming for 75,000, right? Which would be a new record in MLS. Yeah, it's going to be in the, the NFL team, right? The Carolina Panther yeah. Stadium. So apparently it's sold out. I I got invited by some people from the Charlotte FC club. So I'll be at the press box. So that'll be fun, fun so experience. Fun. I'm going to try to do a vlog too to get the experience. Because, I mean, I haven't gone to a 70,000 plus game. The last time I went to one was at Maracanã in Rio de Janeiro, probably 2014, the World Cup. Wow. That was the last time I went. No, sorry. Yeah, 70,000, yes. Because all the other MLS stadiums are kind of small, right? Um, so I'm looking forward to this. It's been a while. Mm. Yeah, I think we're all pretty excited about um, getting football back in stadiums and so on. And uh, MLS is kicking off this weekend. I think we're going to maybe talk about it that a little bit towards the end of the show, see if we get it in. But uh, Adrian, you were lucky. Um, I watched that game. I thought it was maybe the best game I've watched this week. Then we're gonna pro- we're gonna talk about that in depth. The Benfica Ajax game. Um, happy about the result? Yeah, of course. Very very happy with the result because you know I've been watching Ajax very closely and top of watching Benfica even closer. And based on what I had seen from the two teams coming into this, I did not expect a positive result. I guess you could say. I mean, without the away goals, it's basically you you scrap the first leg for this one and then you move on to the next one in a in a single elimination basically. But um, yeah, I was surprised. I think that Ajax was a bit of a letdown in some ways and they'll be upset with themselves. And I think that Benfica was also a lot better than certainly I expected. So overall, very happy. Also, speaking of better than expected, I've already seen a lot of MLS predictions coming out, putting Montreal in last in the East, in last place in the East once again. So It wasn't I, um, me. It wasn't me, I, know. I, I mean, I can't speak to that. I'm sure it wasn't you, though, Filippo. I know you wouldn't uh, discount us like that, not with someone oh. like Mikhailovic in there. Well, but anyway, we yeah. talk about Montreal today and uh, <laughs> the so-called experts. Yes, yes, yes. So there's a few that already put them in 14th. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to MLS coming back. I'm looking forward to having a good distraction, as you guys have been talking about, because it has been a little bit rough. But uh What's the saying? Football is the most important of the unimportant things or yes. something like that? Yeah, so let's focus on that then. Let's do that. And I I, I have lots of questions about Benfica and Darwin Nunes, but um, looking at the... When we're going to talk about it, that's going to be the last of the Champions League games that we cover today. So um, we're going to get to that, Adrian. I want to start with Villarreal against Juventus, 1-1. Um, Filippo, the negative first... Um, Weston McKinney broken two broken metastasals, right? Is the word it's going to be out for a while? Yeah, uh, I think it's a major blow for the United States and for Juventus. Uh, he was a key player in Allegri's system. Allegri has spoken about it. How maybe some could argue that he's not the best player, but Allegri said at certain occasions that he was probably the most important midfielder he had. And for the United States, I personally think he's been our best player for the entire World Cup qualifying campaign. With three crucial games coming up next window against Mexico at Mexico, Panama and Orlando, and then we go to Costa Rica. 
it's a major blow um, for the United States. And Weston's probably done for the season. I would assume he would be back by August. I know, Manuel, you had some some thoughts on this based on other players that had similar injuries. Uh, I'm no medical expert, but just based on the reports and what they're saying, they said he should be back to regular activity in roughly two to three months. So he should be good to go for next season. But this season is not looking promising for him and not looking good for Juve too, losing a key player. Even though Zakaria will probably be the one replacing him, a quality player, they're very different, right, what they bring onto the table. And I don't think – and the result itself, talking about the game a little bit, it wasn't that bad of a result, right? It's an away draw. Now Juventus is able to try to go for the win at home and qualify. So I don't know if we're going to talk about predictions right now, Emmanuel, but I'll just end it on that. Yeah, it's it's so tricky now, right? Because there's no more away goal rules. And a 1-1 draw away would have been a great result in the past, but now it's just 0-0 essentially. But they just need a win at home, so it's right. not bad. No, it's not a terrible result, but it's not... A, the great result that it used to be, right? Because you'd still need to win. In the past, you needed to go for, like, a 0-0 would have been enough. It's pretty much now a single-legged knockout round that yeah. starts tied, but you decide at home. So it, it's yeah. pretty balanced, but you get the advantage of playing in Italy. That's all. And also, like, the thing I actually think is great, because Italian clubs of the, are very guilty of this, right? They would just go and sit for a 0-0 draw. Um, now they can't, because <laughs> they need to win it. <laughs> which is great um we're gonna get goals in this game uh, goals are guaranteed in this game um someone who does guarantee goals and i'm gonna go to you adrian it's Flahovic. he finally got one yeah he did i mean it only took him 32 seconds to get it didn't it so thankfully Vlahovic got that goal off of his chest and he can just basically pick up from where he uh left off instead of yeah i mean the guy is flying already he's a very natural fit in this team and i do kind of blame him in some ways for getting that goal so early because it did feel like one of those games where you know Allegri and how pragmatic he likes to be. You get that early goal, set up shop, and that's exactly what they did because the rest of the match was basically just Juventus sitting back very, very deep and Villarreal, the team on the front foot, which I did find a little bit surprising in some ways. I thought that, and I should have known better because it is Allegri we're talking about, but I found it a little bit surprising that it was Villarreal that was really sort of trying to push the envelope and trying to make things happen in this game. Whereas Juventus, for all of the talent that they do have um, and the talent that they are missing, I guess we should point out as well, guys like Dybala, etc. were not available, but they were happy to just sit back and try and just hold on to that one goal lead, which for me, when you're doing that with still, you know, 89 minutes left in the game that's always going to make things a little bit more difficult and credit to Villarreal I mean they fought for it um they're certainly playing a lot better now under Unai Emery than they were previously because they're they're the kings of the draw prior but with Kapu in some good uh, good form Danjuma etc they're, they're looking like a decent side and they I think they could surprise Juve if if Juve don't try to sort of push forward a little bit more in the second leg and it will be goals that's good. That's a good thing. That's why we needed to get rid of this rule. Um, I want to move on. Chelsea against Lille, 2-0. And before we talk about all the positives with Chelsea, Josh, I want to talk about some of the negatives. And maybe also one of the hot takes that has several, had several chats talking yesterday um, that I am involved in. One soccer writer, Oli Platt, claiming that Based on this game, Jonathan David should be leaving Chelsea a little. I think this is this is I don't know how you feel about this, Josh, but I think 
players should be leaving a club based on a good performance rather than a bad performance. What, what is your take on what's going on with Jonathan David? And of course, I, I'm going to ask the other guys as well, but what did you make of all of that? I mean, it's been interesting for Jonathan David, obviously going to uh, Lille like last season, he struggled right off the get-go. And I think a lot of a lot of Canadian men's national team fans will remember that. He, it didn't look like it would be that move that he was looking for. And then he he turned it up and had an incredible end of the season, getting up to 13 goals. And then he started this season in very similar form the way he left the last one. And that turned a lot of heads and it got his price tag. And obviously you working at Transfer Mark know exactly how much he's worth. He's worth a lot of money and he's gotten a lot of interest. You've heard clubs. Now I'm not saying all of these are legitimate clubs. because I Truly, I don't see the Real Madrid link, but I've seen it out there. The Inter has been out there. I just recently heard Dortmund, which I don't believe too much as well. Arsenal. So he's a player that is absolutely, I think, has earned a move. And I think that he, a lot of people thought that he was going to leave in the summertime. But at the same time, he's got a huge transfer value on him. And right now, he's in he's in pretty poor form. Besides that incredible window we had for Canada, he's went seven matches without scoring for Lille. He looks like he's lacking in confidence. The distribution around him isn't entirely there. So I kind of get the narrative around, yes, everyone wants to see him get a move because I think he does need to move on from Lille, like many other star players at Lille eventually will do. But I think that the timing of putting it out while he's struggling doesn't doesn't help because he's he's not shooting for the stars right now. He's not lighting it up. He's They didn't lose 3-2, but it was a valiant effort from David. He's He's been very quiet. I do think he will move in the summer, and I, I definitely want him to. I think his time at Lille is, is coming to, to an end, but... But I, I, that's where I think a lot of the, the issue happened was with kind of the timing around saying, okay, well, he's been blanking the last seven games. He's not in good form. Why is it now that proves that he needs a time? I think probably it was going around the distribution around him and what the team looks like, but I definitely see both sides. Yeah, I mean, like you're responsible for your own fate. Um, I think Jonathan David is an excellent striker and I think we've seen in the World Cup qualifying on what he can do. Um And every striker, here is a news for you. Every striker is streaky. <laughs> so much is less streaky than others. But everyone has spells where they don't score. Uh, I'm not actually too concerned about it. But I, what I think is really interesting, and um, I'm pretty sure Filippo will have something to say about it, but he's not going to get uh, to say something about it just, just yet. Because, Adrian, This kind of reminds me of a little bit of what US fans do all the time when it comes to Pulisic. Oh, he's not getting the playing time. Oh, like he's not getting the, no one is, he's not playing the right position. Oh, he's not like, the, the, his teammates are not helping him. He needs to get out of there. He needs to move. Like we saw at Dortmund, we, we saw at the times at Chelsea. Um, are Canadian men's national team fans and the pundits that cover the game Falling in the same, falling in the U.S. man's national team trap. I mean, probably, yeah. This is something that, if you look at the grand scheme of, you know, the total history of football, this is not something that we're used to in having these players over there succeeding in these countries. So as soon as we start to see that start to tail off, we're going to start questioning. Oh, it has to be someone else because this is a supreme talent. It's one of our best talents ever. Of course, it can't be down to him. But yeah, it can be down to him sometimes, and it can just be, you know, a a byproduct of the situation that Lille is in currently. Lille is in truly dreadful form in comparison to last season. They're sitting in 11th in Ligue 1. So clearly there's something that's not working with Gouvernic at the helm um, because it's been happening all season. And so when you see a game against Chelsea where it's just not working, also, I mean, taking Chelsea as an example is a, is a bit of a 
difficult one to swallow in my opinion because this is one of the best drilled teams defensively that's going to sit and not sit with a very high line is going to sit back with their three defenders and not allow David to get those runs in behind which is as we know what he's best at making those runs in behind defenders and he's just had to play so deep against Chelsea so yeah I mean I think that people need to look at the entire circumstances that are surrounding why a player is struggling they need to accept that Yes, we love him. He's our boy, but he can go out of form. I mean, we've seen him play for Canada and look totally out of sorts as well. But, you know, in, against CONCACAF nations, he might be able to sneak a goal. Against Chelsea, the champions of the world and the defending European champions as well, you're not going to get as many breaks at the back like that because it's a Thiago Silva that's on you or a Rudiger or a Christensen or what have you. And N'Golo Kante is roving around in front of you. So, yeah, he's going to hit some struggles. It's natural. And let's just let him play through it. And he's proven to us so many times that he can refine that form. Just let him have that opportunity. You don't need to throw Lille under the bus or anything like that. Yeah, 43% of all of Lille's goals have come. He's been participating in. So, you know, his numbers are quite good. Um, Filippo, the one thing, maybe this is, and this sounds harsh, is that a little bit of a product of having a fan base that is very passionate but not quite as ingrained in the game as maybe fan fans that have been born and raised with the game in europe or in south america is this sort of the sort of byproduct that you see and i wonder too because you you experience similar things with pulisic or chelsea um is this just something that like also just puts way too much weight on the players I don't know about putting too much weight on the players. That depends on each one. I also think each player's case is different, right? Um, Pulisic, Jonathan David, and a couple other Americans that we can talk about here for sure. Um, it could be too. And and again, uh, the media pundits or whoever said, I don't even know who said that about David. It's like he needs to leave Lille, right? But where does he have to go? What is the club he has to go, right? It's very easy to say he needs to leave the club, but where does he fit? And does that club want him? Right. The, the thing with Jonathan David is I don't think he has to leave Lille. I think he's earned, I wouldn't say the right, but he he's earned to a move right to a bigger club, maybe to a tougher league to challenge himself. But it's not the end of the world right now. He's getting minutes with Lille. I believe he played the full 90 the past whatever games, like all the games that he hasn't been scoring. Of course, Lille, as Adrian already said, they're struggling this season and probably he could benefit from a team that provides more service. After all, he is a center forward, right? He's not going to get the ball from one box and bring it to another unless it's CONCACAF. So he does need someone to do that. So yeah, I think I think Jonathan David, with the right move, he can benefit from it. And I think he can play in a better league and a better team to challenge himself. But I don't think it's a disaster where he is right now. He's still playing one of the best leagues in the world. He was having a fantastic season. Still is having a fantastic season, just struggling the past few games. And like Adrian pointed out, it's Chelsea. It's not because he and Lille struggled against Chelsea that he needs a move. In regards to Pulisic, just to answer your question, I think Pulisic, a lot of the times that, at least for my my sake, I, I usually think that he, him leaving Chelsea, and I think you even had that take too, Manuel. It was more of something that he needed, one, due to fitting, and two, because he just kind of like needed a new place to be. Things weren't working at Chelsea, maybe take a step back. But each case is different, and I think what Canadians and Americans have to understand is these are the best leagues in the world. You're competing every single day against the best players. Your players will struggle. They will have ups and downs and you just got to hope they battle through it and continue to play. And and, and that's all. Uh, 
that, that's all I have to say about it, to be honest. It's, I don't think Jonathan David needs a move. I think he deserves one, but saying he needs one is just complete nonsense. He's not mm. playing in a second division team. He's playing the current French champions that are struggling this season. So people need to maybe relax about that. And, and like you said, forwards, they're all streaky, unless you're like Lionel Messi, right? Um, they're or all Lewandowski. Or Lewandowski. But these are, yeah. but these are the best center forwards I- like in history, right? They're, they're in history. It's not the best of a generation. It's the best in history. These guys. Not, they were streaky too at times. And like, yeah, also just, Jonathan consist- David is 22. Now. Exactly. I was just going to say that. Is a 22-year-old forward? Yeah. You, um, you, once he's 27, 28 and he's prime, you're going to see a very um, consistent Jonathan David. He's still 22. Um, players don't really reach their peak till they're past 25. So imagine if he continues to develop how he'll be in three years from now. Just how much he's developed the past three years. So good. Such a such an amazing talent. Um, I think that's the the bottom line here. Just want to make some final points that I had on on this game. Uh, I thought Antonio Rüdiger was actually amazing, which actually is like an important component to add to this whole uh, Jonathan David debate. Um, I also thought that the top three with Ciech, Havertz, and Pulisic was really interesting. Um, Havertz looking a lot better than Lukaku in the middle there, which is, of course, also really good news for the German national team. We've been looking for a number nine for a long time, and all of a sudden, Chelsea's best number nine is someone who was never really played as a number nine. Kai Havertz had an excellent game. He was very active, very involved, and um, I think Hansi Flick will have taken a long look at this and thought, hmm, interesting. This could work for us as well. Uh, I want to move on to the next game. Uh, Atletico Madrid versus Man United. And we were all sitting before the podcast, Josh, talking about Jan Oblak. And I know Adrian has some things to say about it too, because I think he just did a video. But Josh, what's your thoughts on Jan Oblak? I mean, first of all, 1-1 draw, not the end of the world, but Atletico should have probably won this game. They they absolutely should have. Uh, This is an Atletico side who has had a lot of success in the Champions League and the, and the, honestly, since the two times they went to the final. And it's been because they, they play a certain way and they, they play almost a tournament-style way. And, and a lot of that is on just solid goalkeeping as well as just all-around Diego Simeone solid back line. Now, obviously, this season, I, mean, I think I've seen it from Adrian's videos too, the, the amount of uh, goals they conceded. It's a very different uh, Diego Simeone-type team. But a big part of that, I think, also has to fall in Oblak. Now, I'm no goalkeeping expert whatsoever that's why i don't like diving into it because i just i've never played the position i'm i'm well under six foot so i'm not good at the position but he looks out of sorts he doesn't look like the the old black because i was someone who rated him very very highly up there with the manual noyers of the world because i just thought that's how good he was at one point and i'm not sure exactly what's going on with him but when i was watching that goal back and i watched it like five times because i just couldn't believe it. it almost looked like he he shut like he mishit the shot. I mean, it was per- perfectly into the corner. But if you watch as he's approaching to take the shot, Oblak veers off to the near post, but he goes there in in such dramatic fashion that he leaves the entire other side completely open, and the ball just slowly rolls in the net. It just seems like a like a just he's misjudging the way that he used to play the game, and he's I think he's overthinking a little bit, and it's starting to get to his head because. You kind of saw this a little bit with David De Gea a little while ago while he was on, obviously, really good form, and then he slipped for a little bit. And I think with becoming a keeper, you can get in your own head. But 
it, it just doesn't look like the old black I, I used to, to know and, and love. It looks like someone who's a shell of himself. And I'm curious to see Adrian maybe dive in a little bit more. And if any of you guys, I know, I know Manuel's tall, so maybe he's got some uh, goalkeeping uh, expertise to put into this discussion. I actually used to be a goalkeeper, um, and I am tall, yes. <laughs> but I know Adrian did a video on this. And even though I am tall and a former goalkeeper, I feel having just gone through the numbers, Adrian is probably the most qualified on, to, to add on this. Yeah, so, I mean, I, let me just preface this by also saying that I too am not a goalkeeping expert, but just diving into some of the raw data. And I spoke to someone who uh, who runs the uh, Into the Calderon. It's like a Atletico Madrid news source. So shout out to them. I spoke to him just to sort of get the eye test from Jan Oblak all season. And yeah, it's obvious that he is not making the same kind of saves that he used to the past two seasons. And when you look at some of the numbers, such as, you know, Atletico Madrid, to speak to how their defense is doing, they still have the lowest expected goals against in all of La Liga. Um, and they they face the fewest amount of shots, and yet they're still just leaking goals. So that does speak to what's going on with Jan Oblak. And some of the numbers that you look at, for example, you know his save percentage. His save percentage is one of the lowest amongst keepers who have made at least eight appearances in the top five leagues. Like I have old data in front of me, so I don't want to necessarily share it, but he was ranked somewhere around 110th out of 111 from the numbers that I ran. When you look at something called post-shot expected goals, now stick with me here. I'm sure we all sort of understand what expected goals are at this point. We've all listened to Greg Berhalter talk about it as the uh, the XG professor. You, you had say. to go there? You had, you had to go to there. there. He's the and XG You wonder professor. why I call you a rude Canadian. No, it's not to rub it into you. It's just we're making fun of Greg, Filippo. Come on. But anyway, so post-shot expected goals also takes into account not just the shot location, but the actual shot and where it was heading. If it was heading into the top corner, that's going to rank a little bit higher. If it's heading straight at the keeper, it's going to rank a little bit lower. And so a lot of people, when they're looking at the performance of a goalkeeper, they use this metric to sort of judge how they're doing. Now, someone who ranks very high right now is David De Gea. He's actually ranked one of the top in Europe for post-shot expected goals so that would suggest that he's overperforming and he's making saves that wouldn't be expected of any average keeper necessarily and when you look at Jan Oblak he used to consistently be at like a plus 10 a plus 11 a plus 9 something like that so that basically says he's making about 9 to 10 saves that the average keeper couldn't this season it swung far in the opposite direction to about negative 10 now so it's clear that Via the eye test, he doesn't look like himself. And the numbers are really backing that up, that he is completely out of sorts this season. Apparently, he's shaken on confidence. There's questions over whether he'll sign another contract with Atleti. So, you know, this happens just like strikers go out of form. Keepers can go out of form and have nightmare seasons. But this is this is shockingly low for someone of Jan Oblak's caliber, really. Yeah, no, it's not good numbers. Um, I think with Oblak too, like people always kind of put him into the next Manuel Neuer category. And um, I just never saw the connection because they're just so different. But yeah, um, great numbers though, Adrian. Very well done. Um, and I'm going to stick with you because I'm going to move on to the next game and Holy smokes. <laughs> what a game. Um, this was so good. Benfica against Ajax. Um, condolences if you opted to watch any of the other games that day. Because that was such a good game. Um, 
at one point the two of us chatted and you said, I was going to win 4-1. Didn't quite turn out that way, did it? No, not at all. Thankfully, thankfully, because, you know, from watching Benfica this season and how just how poor it's been, we've had more, you know, problems with politically with our pre- former president now, current president not doing a great job, sacked our manager, third in the league, uh, lost the cup final. The fact that we managed to make it out of our group stage was a surprise, really. And the fact that we did not get hammered by Ajax, a team who went to sporting our rivals and beat them 5-1 in their own stadium. I was shocked. I was amazed. And speaking of the quality of the match, I mean, as you saw, Manuel, it was it was stretched from the very beginning. From the very, very beginning, there was opportunities going at either end of the pitch. Um, lots of counterattacking football from Benfica. Ajax, though, I think that Eric Ten Hag is going to be a little bit disappointed in how they played because they were not clinical at times. I mean, Sebastian Haller, I don't know if you remember that miss he had from like the six-yard box. It was It was brutal from a rebound off of the post. Um, so that was not great. And then there's many, many times defensively as well, when Benfica started to really kill them on the counter through Darwin Nunez and Rafa, there's a lot of times where it would be, you know, numerical advantage to Benfica in the attack. So Ajax were committing so far forward and then Benfica could kill them with the pace, which was the only going to be, that was only going to be the, the game plan that Benfica could adopt for this one successfully, because if we try to pass our way through, it's never going to happen. So yeah, it was really fun. Um, unfortunate that it was just a draw because Benfica, I think we could have snatched a win at some points there. Timber was making some crazy, crazy tackles at the back, but yeah, you know, it's wiped clean basically. And now it's a, it's a single match elimination in Amsterdam now, which will be very, very difficult. Philippe, what did you make of the match? So the IX Benfica match, I didn't watch it. Remember I watched the Manchester United one at the same right. time. Uh, I, I would just say one thing. It was just a surprise to me that. I didn't expect Benfica to pull a draw. That's all I'll say about it. I thought Ajax, I actually even said, I think it was last week, I think I said Ajax would actually roll over Benfica. And that surprised me. But I didn't watch the game. I was watching Manchester United at the same time. <laughs> My condolences, Filippo. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got a little disappointed at that because, like you guys have been saying, this game looked actually good. While, while the other game, Atletico and Manchester United, it was a very Diego Simeone-like game and in a very current state of Manchester United-like game, right? That you mm-hmm. just, it's just painful to watch sometimes. And and it was weird too with John Felix scoring a header and Elanga getting a weird goal on All Black. But back to your game, you guys can keep talking about Benfica and Ajax. I didn't watch it. It was a surprise to me. I thought Ajax would actually get a better result. Josh, oh, how about you? Did you watch it? I was watching mostly the Atletico United game, but... I was flipping back and forth because DAZN has the uh, the goal notification. So I did not watch it in its entirety. So I'm probably not the best. But watching bits and pieces, because I would switch over to it when like the goal was scored. And then I'd keep an eye on it. it, was, it to me, it was a faster pace. It, it was a it was definitely a more enjoyable. You could tell sw- switching back and forth that it was it was completely different. Just the pace of it. The, mm. it, it was it was an interesting game. Uh, I thought a pretty decent result. I mean, it's so interesting now with the way goals not being there because I mean, essentially, it's it's nil nil. That's that's all it is. Same basically as the United and Atletico game. So I feel the advantage is back with United as well as Ajax. But um, but yeah, I mean, I was l- l- watching you on Twitter and you were basically talking the game up and in our group chat as well. So c- kind of regretted it a little bit, but I I just wanted to keep an eye on that match. I was just very curious to see of United and Atletico, who both, in my opinion, are 
underachieving this season, how they were going to do faring off in the Champions League. Yeah, no, it, I thought it was amazing. Um, maybe the final point that I have on this, Adrian is going to hate this point, and I'm curious what you think about it. Um, I think any club losing out on Erling Haaland in the summer, and there will be a few, uh, actually probably all of them except for one, <laughs> obviously, um, will probably take a pretty clo- close look at Darwin Nunez. Boy, what a player. Still raw, a lot rawer than Haaland, I think. Yep. But big, physical, strong, technical ability. Um, unfortunately, also a hothead. Um, gets him in trouble, right? But man, what a player, Adrian. Yeah, he's he has all the things that you mentioned, as well as outrageous speed for a guy his size. I mean, similar to Haaland, people sort of forget how quick he is because he's this big lumbering figure. And it's the same sort of thing with Darwin Nunez. I mean, we saw it. I'm sure a lot of people saw that game against Barcelona from the group stage where he absolutely torched that left side of the pitch. And that's where he's most difficult to defend against is when he's running into space like that. When he's in a tight corner and he has two men on him, He's less likely to be able to dribble out of a cul-de-sac, but when it's just him one-on-one and he can use his pace to get to the byline, then it's you can bet that he's going to be able to do it. Um, I think that he does tend to go missing a little bit from time to time, and I think that that's just a natural consequence of how well he's been playing this season that people are paying closer attention to him. But yeah, I think that... You know, there was a lot of rumors that West Ham was put in a huge bid for him, that Newcastle was going after him. I think that it's going to be another summer of Benfica losing a couple of great players, maybe even a Julian Weigel as well, because he's been awesome. Yeah, maybe, hopefully, an actual big club will go for him. Um, I'd be, think, a little disappointed if he ends up at like West Ham or Newcastle. What do you think? I would be as well, um, because I think that he definitely... Like you said, he's still raw. Like you can see the improvements all the time. Last season, he was great at scoring and assisting. This season has been mostly the scoring. So I think that if he was to go to a top club, a top manager, like for example, like you said, whoever misses out on Holland, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe then Man City would turn their eye towards either a Darwin Nunez or a Juan Felix, I'm hoping for, because I, th- I think we're going to talk about Atletico soon, but... Anyway, yeah, I think that Darwin Nunez is the next big sale out of Benfica, which is unfortunately all we can look forward to these days. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. But like, I think if you're a certain club of a certain size, that's that's how it goes, right? Yeah. Um, the rest of the world are like circling vultures around your best prospects. And um, unfortunately, this is how soccer has evolved. Um, yeah, too bad. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus. Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void were prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, 467-369. But I, I do want to, because, you know, time is ticking, uh, I want to move on to the, the CONCACAF Champions League games, guys. And um, New York City FC um, has done what they needed to do. Filippo, easy win, 4-0. Uh, Tati, great again. Um, I think when you look at this early stages, and we're going to talk about MLS too, but like they look like they could actually defend their title this year, right? Uh, so I've learned to not get my hopes up. Uh, and for any international viewer, it's kind of weird, right? Because you go to the Champions League or Libertadores in South America, the country's not really cheering for the clubs in the country, just own fans. But here in the U.S., and I probably would say even maybe Canada, is we want to see a club from our league be successful in these international competitions. And I would love to see MLS maybe win this CONCACAF Champions League, but... I don't know, man. I, I'm going to keep my, my hopes down until I actually see it. Obviously, Montreal made us all happy yesterday, knocking out a very in bad form Santos Laguna, but it doesn't matter. It was still a 3-0 win, a dominant performance, an actual dominant performance, right? Not a Greg Berhalter dominant performance. But I'm going to keep my hopes down, Manuel. And I mean, you cover MLS and CONCACAF a lot, so... I'm sure you understand why I would be doing that based on the past few years. No, absolutely. Although, and this is when we bring in the Canadians, the root Canadians, as you always call us, Filippo. Um, yeah. Don't forget, That's Manuel, that the Rapids got knocked out, knocked out already by Comunicaciones. So that is less American team or MLS team, right? Not American MLS because Canadians are there too. Uh, that's less of a team that we just lost, a spot that maybe could have had a better team than the Rapids that mm. would actually meaningfully compete, right? Um, but we sent the Rapids, rightfully so, because of their campaign. They got rid of some important players, and there you have it. They got eliminated on PKs from a team they shouldn't have gotten eliminated. It's okay, different. so here's, here's a point that I'm going to make about this, because this is important. Um, and then we can move on and talk for a long time about Montreal and how awesome they were, because they were. Um, you see this in Europe all the time as well. Teams play an early pre like teams that play in the very early stages of the Europa League qualification stages, right? The really early stages, like let's, I think, round three or round two or three. You know, that where you have to actually play two games or three games to get into um, the, the group stage. And we see this in Europe all the time where someone like Freiburg um, will make it to that stage. And at this stage, they, they are in the earliest summer preparation. Sometimes that's their first game. Sometimes they like haven't even trained together before. And then they get thrown into a situation like that and... They're facing a team that's super motivated, wants to eliminate them. So that's, this is why the CONCACAF knockout stage at this point uh, in the calendar makes so little sense to me because teams are not prepared. MLS teams are not prepared. And on a normal day, in a normal knockout stage game, Colorado Rapids will eliminate. They will do it, right? 
Um, so this is something I think we have to keep in mind. And this is not an MLS-specific problem. This happens in Europe as well. I, I agree with that. But at the same time, it's a little bit different, right? In Europe, the, the small nations in Europe are still stronger than Guatemala. No, um, I think that the, 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 the difference is about the same. You have like you have like teams like Freiburg that are worth like two hundred million euros in squad value getting knocked out by teams that are worth like six or seven. I don't know, man. It's also two games. It's it it, it shouldn't have. Yeah, happened. but that's that's the same in Europe. It's two games and still happens. I don't know. I I, I think we I think we're putting too much weight on that. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like, look when when they reform this competition because it is happening, right? And there is a new format coming. And it's still happening then? Hmm. Yeah. Well, look, um, I just think that MLS needs to maybe review the way we, our criteria of sending clubs to the CONCACAF Champions League because not necessarily we're always sending our best. And I know I know it's, it shouldn't be picked, right? It shouldn't be someone but, saying right. this. But that happens, just, that happens in Europe as well. It's based on the previous year's performance. Yeah, but MLS is a little bit different the way they do, right? It's like the champion of the supporters show, the team that did this, that, that the, the campaign. It, it has to be a little bit different because our structure from Europe is a little bit different, right? We have two conferences. Right. Their difficulty of each conference is different because of the system of MLS to keep it balanced also. But Rapids see- finished first in the West. They did. Ahead of Sporting Kansas City. They did. But that's why MLS has to review some of the ways it's structured because look at what the Rapids did right now. They got right, rid of but, their main players. Well, not the main players, but they but got no rid European of... European League will review its structure because like, let's say someone like a, a, a lower team in one of the top leagues won the cup. Well, you're not, well, you're not going to review... I don't think... Some team from like, uh, I don't know, small country in Eastern Europe. I don't think this is the reason to review the, the structure. I think this is one of the many reasons to review the structure. Hmm. One of the many reasons, right? This is just one that does bother me a little bit in terms of MLS, but there's many others which, again, we, we actually should do an episode one day um, talking a little bit more about MLS. I think a lot of the international viewers might not know how it works exactly, what's going on, because it's, it's a little bit more confusing. It's not like your average soccer league in the world. But this no, is just one of the many true. reasons. It's much different. There's much more rules to it. Some of them I agree with. Some of them I don't. Doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. Doesn't mean they're right or wrong. Only time will tell. But there, it's something maybe we can talk about in the future about an episode. It'll be a much longer one. Okay, so I have a question though, a final one. Before we go and finally talk about Montreal and how awesome they were. Um, what are you what will we what will we say if somehow Forge FC does exactly what this Honduran side did, or Guatemalan side did to Colorado Rapids and knocks out Cruz Azul. You're asking me? Yeah. I mean, it well, could happen. It's well, the only one goal down. I think it'll be a major... Dis- Look, no disrespect to Forge FC, uh, by the way. And I also think Canada has much better infrastructure, more money, more resources than Guatemala in terms of soccer, mm-hmm. especially. Uh, but Cruz Azul should go through. Uh, in they, they should. Oh, and if they 100%. don't, it isn't. It is an embarrassment if they don't go through. Again, exactly. no disrespect to Forge FC. In Liga MXC, we talked about I had an episode with Herc Gomez. He even said it. They do need to review their current structure. They He understands why they got rid of promotion relegation in Liga MXC. Uh, maybe it was needed or maybe it's just because of that little mafia they have there right now of ownership. But I've talked. I also work with Ailton that played for Pumas in the 2000s. Marcelo Gonçalves that played for Tecos in the 90s. They've all said the same thing. Hurt Gomez and them. They've all said it. 
Liga MX took took a step back when they got rid of promotion relegation, in their opinion. So I do think Liga MX also does have to revisit their structure and rethink it. But that's a different topic. And if they do lose to Forge, yes, I think it is an embarrassment. No disrespect to Forge. And what they did in the first game was actually amazing. Um, yeah, no. 100%. I mean, think that game is going to be very interesting. Um, as of course, I'm cheering for Forge, by the way, just to make that clear. 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific. Um, tune in, please. I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup because, if, you know, this is a Canadian team that will very much care about this competition. And I think when teams care about this competition, it's special. And Adrian, there is history when it comes to Montreal and this competition. In fact, there was history between Montreal and Santos Laguna. I remember in 2009 when Montreal won at home 2-0 and they were up down in Mexico and still lost 5-2 to go out. Um that's revenge. That's proper revenge, what happened yesterday. And a lot of Mexicans said, oh, well, Santos Laguna, they're like playing the kids and so on. And 19-year-old who's never played a professional game in his life scored the third goal for Montreal. Um, Kone, by the way, a name that you should all note down. Incredible. I mean, this was just a very, very good game. And the atmosphere was brilliant. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it was just a testament to Wilfred Nancy and what he's doing with this young Montreal side. I mean, in the in the previous leg as well, it was Zuhir, I think, that started in the middle of the pitch. So he's giving a lot of opportunities to to young Canadian talent, which you'd love to see. And not only that, but they're playing incredibly well. I mean, if you just look through the lineup now, there's Sebastian Breza in goal, Canadian, Joel Waterman, Mathieu Chouanier. There's... Uh, Ismail Kone, I mean, he could declare for either Ivory Coast or Canada. Um, Kamal Miller was in there as well. And then you had guys coming off the bench. Alistair Johnson, Zachary Brogriar. So there's a lot of opportunities being handed to this, to this, uh, to the Canadian contingent, I should say, at the Montreal Impact. And as for their performance yesterday, it was just never really in danger, was it? Like, they never really felt like at any moment Montreal was going to lose that match. It was so controlled. Mikhailovich was in excellent, excellent form while he not even being in form. You know, our friend Alex tweeted how if he was in mid-season form, he probably would have had two goals and four assists in that first half alone. That's how well he was playing while still having some missed touches or some loose passes and stuff like that. So it was great to see such a controlled, cohesive effort um, and I'm really excited for this uh, predicted to be in 14th place CF Montreal team to uh, take on the season because I think not only in this competition they could have a decent run again. Unfortunately, it could be against Forge if Forge make it through. But I think that Montreal could have a decent run in this. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just really excited because it's giving those 2015 vibes again when that Frank Kloppes led team <laughs> made it all the way to the final and sadly lost against Club America. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it, man. It's it's great to see Montreal looking competitive again with so many young Canadians on there. Yeah, Josh, I always felt that Canadian teams took this competition way more serious than American-based teams, whether it's the MLS teams. Um, of course, Toronto also made the final, right? Uh, Montreal had a couple of really good runs. Um, Forge had a really good outing in the in the first leg, and I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think it wouldn't be as shocking as many think that if they actually somehow pull off a miracle. Um, there is something special about this competition for Canadian teams, isn't there? There is, and there the history there shows it. But I mean, I I think I've made this point before that, and and I got I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure most 
that went on a deep run were affected in it with their the start of their season because all those games cramming together. I think it was TFC's recent run, or it was it was some MLS team. And again, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I remember it just dramatically because they put all their eggs in that basket. They didn't end up, end up winning it, and it really put them behind the bar. And they, I don't think they ended up making the playoffs, but this can be something special. And listening to Adrian's stories back in 2015, it's really cool to see. And this Montreal side specifically for me was one I, I mentioned even coming to the end of last season. I said, this is a, this is a team that I want to keep an eye on because of the Canadian talent. I obviously covered the Canadian men's national team. And just, this is kind of it. I'm putting the, the, the quotes out there. Like this is sort of the most Canadian team you're going to see with this, all the talent that Adrian's went through. I mean, from there could be an entire back five if they really wanted to with Brezza, Waterman, Johnston, um, Miller, ZBG, like Schwanier. It's it's absolutely incredible. I love the way that they played. And and I tweeted out yesterday, I said, this was just a convincing and professional performance. They were the better team from start to finish. The three goals I, I thought were the first two specifically were just taken with such class. It, it gets you excited. And now, I mean, I like to, like you say, manual and you say it all, all the time J- journalism i'm not saying i'm a journalist but i like following our canadian clubs and i like so i'm don't look at me as like a tfc fan i, I cheer for all of them i've cheered for vancouver last year because that's just i want to cover them but i remember seeing on twitter last night a little bit of debate between tfc fans cheering on um cf montreal and being like why are you cheering on our rivals and just an interesting little debate so uh, i just wanted to see what your thoughts were on uh on other fans of canadian soccer cheering on this team because for me i'm i'm going all in for montreal they're the team i want to win and i just really enjoy watching them yeah we i mean the three canadian teams in mls are not restricted to play canadians the same way that american teams are i mean lafc just learned us the hard way when they signed like repo and Daniel henry right those two those two players are foreigners down there and um so this is a good platform for canadian talent um I thought Mathieu Chenier was amazing. He had a great game. Um, Ismail Kone should probably cap him as quickly as possible. Um, what a talent. It's evident from from the get-go that there is something special there. And yeah, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, um when it comes when it comes to the league, sure, um, rivals and all that. But I think in the end of the day, when it comes to this CONCACAF competition, I, I do the same with all the German clubs in, in European competitions. Um, I watch them all and I root for them. Um, yeah. And that's, that is, you know, that is, I think, so I think personally, I have no problem with that. You know, cheer on your Canadian teams when they're in the competition. Of course, when you play against them, then that's a different story. But I have no problem with that, Josh. Absolutely no problem. But um, before we leave, we should probably take a quick look at MLS. And season finally kicks off um, this weekend on Saturday. Bunch of games. So many clubs now in this league. 28, 28 clubs. Um, so when you look at this this match sheet, it's like so big. <laughs> Um, but just looking at that first match day, guys, is there anything, and I'm going to go through all three of you and starting with Josh, um, is there anything you're looking forward to before match day one? And what is the things that you're looking forward to in the season in general? I'm I'm really looking forward to the MLS getting back. I just think each and every season it's getting better and better. And, and I just, I, I love to see it because, I mean, it's it's our, like I know the CPL, but I mean, it's we have clubs in the MLS and it's just seeing how far it comes 
been really cool. And I just like keeping an eye on some of the storylines and, and obviously two clubs that I want to keep a specific eye on um, one from the East, one from the West for me, it is going to be Toronto. I mean, obviously it's, it's the local club to me, but I just think with all the, all the work that they've done in the off season, I mean, they, they did get the big Insigne signing, but he isn't going to be appearing right from the get-go, but they dipped into the CPL market a little bit. And I'm really excited to see what Lucas McNaughton and, um, and Caden Chunk and Duke, because they're, they were two very talented players. I think they're going to be both given an opportunity in this, in this squad. There's a lot of young players coming through, brought in a couple other, um, like Jimenez and, and uh, I, just really looking forward to when Insigne comes in, but I'm just curious to see how they can do until Insigne can sign up. Salcedo as well coming in there, but for me as well is LAFC. I'm really looking forward because there's been massive turnover on that side from the coach to the players. I'm curious to see what kind of Carlos Velo we're going to get. I'm excited to see Maxime Crepeau and, and Henry, the couple Canadians joining up with LAFC. They had a uh, Arango who I, I'm backing to win the, uh, the gold boot this year. I think he had an incredible end to his season scoring goals. I think there's a lot because a lot of people are kind of writing off this LAFC team until they started really going into those transfers. I think they brought in a short period of time, like five different bodies in. Acosta is obviously a big one. So those are the two big storylines and I'm really excited for both of their first matches. I'm going to be watching them. At least I think I'm going to be watching them both. Yes, I am because LAFC plays a little bit before Toronto. So those are the two big games I'm keeping an eye on for the, uh, for the opener. How about you, Adrian? So for me, it's it's baby steps for me. As you guys know, I've said this so many times, I'm sort of the uh, the bad North American here. But I need to get back to my sort of 2017, 2018 levels where I was going to matches regularly. I was following the league very closely, etc. So for me, it's baby steps. I'm going to follow Montreal very closely. I'm going to watch every match. As far as keeping an eye on other teams... Uh, yeah, like I said, I'm just worried about getting my own knowledge of, <laughs> of MLS back up before I really dip my toes into watching it as closely as possible because I'm just stretched so, so thin with all the other coverage that I do. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm really looking forward to the season with Montreal. I felt a little bit disconnected last season, but from what I've seen in a little bits of preseason and the two matches against Santos Laguna, even that first leg, I thought Montreal was pretty unfortunate to not come out of there with the goal that was called back. But anyways, no need to dwell on that. I'm just looking forward to what Wilfred Nancy has done because he absolutely deserved this opportunity and to see him starting to, you know, I'm not, I don't want to go as far as to say that the team is thriving under him yet because the ball hasn't even been kicked for the season, but they're looking good. The signs are certainly there that it's going to be a, if anything, if we can avoid injuries, etc., it's going to be a very promising season for Montreal and we will uh, hopefully make the playoffs this time, narrowly missing out last season. Yeah, absolutely. I think they look like fun. I, I, I'm curious. Um, I'm going to come visit. Adrian, and we'll go yeah. to a game together. Let's do that. Hell yeah. Because they, they, look, they look like fun. Um, really curious about them this year. Um, Filippo, how about you? So usually, like I said earlier in this podcast, right, I don't care too much about results in MLS. So, yeah, I'm going for Orlando City. I'll be in several games this year here to go watch. I'm actually going to travel a lot in the U.S. and go to different games. But mostly what I'm looking forward to is, one, keeping track of these young South Americans that are joining the league, see if any sales are going to happen. Young Americans, too, the academies, how are we developing, how the league as a whole is developing players, growing. And that new TV deal, right? For many that don't know, MLS is supposed to sign a new deal within a month or two. And it's a pretty big, big move for the league, right? It's going to be big money. It'll help with the growth, expansion of teams, franchise fees that are coming in. So I think overall what I'm looking forward to is something I've been keeping track for the past few years is keeping track of the growth of the league. And you see that through numbers, maybe attendance numbers, TV viewership, new TV deals, 
expansion of clubs, more players being developed. That's what I like because MLS to me, uh, it's almost like it's the most relaxing league that I watch. There's games at night. I come back home. I'm done from work, done with everything. I sit down, I relax, and I watch a game at night, right? Because in Europe, the games are earlier here in the United States. Um, and in Brazil, the time's a little bit closer to what MLS is, but uh, I usually watch mostly Palmeiras there, and those games are a little bit different for me in terms of passion. But mostly looking forward to the growth of the league. I think that's what it is. I think that's what most of us said. I think that's what a little bit of us said I think that's what everyone said a little bit in their answers. Yeah, I think that I'm fully on board with what you just said, Filippo. It's the growth of the league that fascinates me the most. And of course, like um, keeping close track on that and transfer market and the market value developments and all that. And there's so many young players now in this league, which is something I find fascinating. The average age at in MLS is 25.3. That's young. It's very young. No one come at me with the retirement label anymore because... It almost never happens anymore. Um, there's a bunch of teams with an average age oh, under 23. Um, and I find that remarkable. That's absolutely remarkable. So um, that's, I think, a trend in the very right direction. Um, that's what you want to be. You want to bring in some of the bigger talents, right? But you also want to develop yourself. And this is where I'm at. And I'm really curious who's going to be the next Ricardo Pepe Who's going to be the next Tyler Adams? Um, those are the names that I'm kind of looking out for. And I'm, I'm really, I think there's some really interesting Not ones. Not the next Alfonso Davies? Oh. Yeah, maybe. I'm really looking forward more to that. Like get a world-class player out of the league here. Uh, Brendan Aaron yeah. that exploded at Salzburg this season and is going to so make good. There's um there's so there's good. definitely I'm I'm keeping an eye clo- close to Caden Clark this season as well. He's supposed to play a big role because New York yeah. Red Bulls had to pay big money for that loan. They had to pay like six hundred thousand in allocation money, I think. Although so, allocation money is not worth as much anymore, Filippo. Yeah, but but I mean it's a loan. They pro- they weren't expecting yeah. us to pay anything for um, their own player. Yeah, he was there already. He was loaned back, so they're they're expected to play him a lot of minutes. Um. I'm looking for, and remember, Caden was breaking out in MLS until he had appendicitis. Yeah. Before that, he had like four goals and three assists in what, like seven games, ten games, and then and then the appendicitis. So a yeah. fresh start for him, and he has been one of our most promising players. Go over in June, July, right? So uh, maybe he'll stay till the end of the season. It depends on Leipzig, but yeah, yeah. Um, he could go during the summer to Salzburg, maybe or Leipzig. Yeah, Yakil Marshall Rudy. You're asking me about the next Davies? That's probably him from Toronto FC. Very good player. Um, Before we leave, I noticed that Toronto wanted 20 million euros for him or 20 million dollars for him um, to sell him this this winter. Uh, He's 17 years old. I I thought it was a bit of a hefty price tag. I think that's a hands-off warning saying we don't we're not quite ready to sell him yet. He's going to go for a lot of money, Davies money. He's really good. Um so that's another guy to keep an eye on. And uh Kate Koval, Filippo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kate interesting to say too, uh before we go. Apparently Kate Cowell was utilized as a wing back for certain moments during the preseason. And and when I had the interview with him. Uh, he joked that he was going to become a right back. And I laughed. I was just like, yeah, sure. But I don't know. Um, his skill set, depending on how you see it, he does 
he, he could become a fullback or a wingback eventually. It, might, it might gravity, right? It might just work, right? It might yeah. just work. <laughs> We'll see. There's a lot of other names. Maybe like uh, in one of the upcoming episodes, we just do like a MLS talents forecaster. I think that'd be fun. Uh, where we just look at the, the some of the biggest MLS um, talent pool. So yeah. Anyways, guys, um, let's wrap it up here. Great episode. And I hope it got everyone's mind off things that are happening in the real world. Definitely did for me. Um, so that really helped. And yeah, we'll be back soon with another show. Until then, cheers and bye-bye. <laughs>